Welcome to the It's One Louder podcast. Your host, PJ Pat, has done absolutely nothing that you would know about, but don't fret. Turn up the volume one louder and enjoy the show. Why won't Dracula fight Mick Jagger? Because you can't get blood out of a stone. Ha! <laughs> Hello, Rock fans. Hope you enjoyed that one by Paul. He really wanted to get that out of the way early on, so and then he took off, so I'm not sure where he's at, but hope you had a good laugh on that one. Hey, Rock fans, check out this magazine I picked up earlier this week. I can't wait to bring you the GNR stuff in future episodes, but today I noticed this article, and I want to bring you this one. It's regarding the band Extreme. So I'm not sure if any of you have heard the new Extreme album. came out, I guess, a couple of months now. It's the one with the grill on it. It's called Six. And I've listened to a ton of albums, and in my opinion, it is the best album of 2023 so far. In terms of variety, musicianship, songwriting, the emotional roller coaster that you go through listening to the whole album, nothing beats it right now. I highly recommend it for all of you if you haven't checked it out. And it's extreme. Now, I know, you know, extreme could be pretty polarizing. You know, you either love them or hate them. Truthfully, I actually jumped off the bandwagon a long time ago. But when I heard the first single off this album that came out, I really couldn't deny them anymore and definitely had to check them out and have not been disappointed. So for those of you who have listened to it and like it, hopefully this article will give you a new perspective of the music and uh, appreciate it even more. So this article is entitled, We Still Want to Conquer the World. As Extreme gear up to release their first new album in 15 years, frontman Gary Sharon and guitarist Nuno Bedencourt look back at where it all went right and wrong. Words, Paul Brannigan. On the evening of February 12th this year, anyone inquiring as to the whereabouts of Nuno Betancourt would have been directed towards the security-ringed stage erected at center field at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. There, as ex-NFL legends turned pundits in the stadium's media suites paused their analysis of the first two quarters of Super Bowl, the 56-year-old guitarist was calmly orchestrating the game's musical intermission as white-clad dancers glided through synchronized dance routines around above and below a pregnant radiant Rihanna. An estimated 118.7 million viewers worldwide tuned in, making Rihanna's first live appearance in seven years the third most-watched TV show ever. Wow! 5.7 million more viewers tuned in to see Rihanna sing than to watch the game itself. Whoa! Despite the fact that he was on camera for, by his own estimation, approximately 1.5 milliseconds of the global broadcast of the 2023 Super Bowl halftime show, I get it. They wanted to focus on the dancing sperm. He shrugs, his smile betraying the fact that he's aware of how ridiculous these words sound. Bettencourt acknowledges his participation in the 35-year-old pop star's comeback gig as a bucket list moment. The guitarist also confesses that as focused as he was in steering the set's dynamic flow from opener Bitch Better Have My Money through the climactic combo of global mega hits, Umbrella, and Diamonds, at one point he did allow himself to think, man, this is cool, but it'd be even cooler if it was up there with Extreme. Short of context, Ben Court's declaration today that Extreme isn't going to play a Super Bowl halftime show could be framed as a defeatist statement. So it's important to clarify that he relays these words from his beautiful home in Los Angeles with gold and platinum presentation discs on the wall behind him. He isn't accepting that there must be a ceiling to his hopes 
of what his band, who officially reunited in 2007, can achieve in their second act. On the contrary, over the course of a 45-minute conversation with the confident, charismatic guitarist, it's it's abundantly clear that, ahead of the release of Six, Extreme's first new album in 15 years, he believes the quartet still have the potential, the presence, and, crucially, the songs to hit any goal they set their sights on. Nunu and I have the same attitude. We still want to conquer the world, Extreme's frontman Gary Sharon affirms. We still want to play the biggest stages. We still have the bucket list dreams. We still feel like a new band with something to prove. The final song on the new Extreme album is titled Here's to the Losers. Over Benincourt's finger-picked acoustic guitar arpeggios, Sharon croons, Hey, you have it. Hey, you gave it your best shot. You gave it all you got. It wasn't quite enough. If that title is somewhat tongue-in-cheek, the song itself is sincere and heartfelt. An empathetic celebration of the underdogs, the nearly men, the could-have-been-someones. Today, Sharon reveals that it was written as a response to Queen's triumphalist anthem, We Are the Champions. I've had that title in my head forever, he says. It's like, okay, you are the champions? Cool, okay, congratulations. But what about the rest of us? We matter too. Very cool picture of the band. I love the black and white. Make no mistake, we all know how amazing Nunu is on guitar, but these four guys, they're phenomenal musicians. Gary Sharon, an amazing singer. We all know he participated in that one Van Halen album, and from what I've learned from that situation, it really wasn't his fault. He was put into a situation that did not set him up for success. There was huge tension in the band at the time amongst the Van Halen people, and it just wasn't, I don't think they were in the right frame of mind, and unfortunately, kind of Gary suffered the brunt of that but I'm glad he's able to move on from that and come up with this super solid album I mean like I said I think it's the best album in 2023 so far for Sharon isolating the pinnacle of his band's first act is easy on April 20th 1992 standing together side stage at Wembley Stadium during the Freddie Mercury tribute concert for AIDS awareness he recalls himself in bed in court virtually levitating with joy as the day's pinch me I'm dreaming moments kept coming that was an amazing concert I actually witnessed that live on TV the Freddie Mercury tribute concert for AIDS awareness it was such a landmark rock concert all the top bands of the day all the who's who in rock whether it's past or present were there were present for that concert they aired it live on TV you just were completely immersed and it just totally blew your top off they picked artists to collaborate on certain songs Special singers to sing Queen songs while the rest of the band played. If you're able to YouTube that concert, pause this and go check that out. It's phenomenal. It might change some of your lives. Some of the collabs on there, it just blew you away. The one that sticks out for me is when James Hetfield from Metallica did Stone Cold Crazy with Queen. (sighs) Goosebumps. Just thinking about it right now. So hopefully you can track that one down. Sandwiched between Metallica and Def Leppard on the most star-studded concert stage in the UK since Live Aid, Extreme's decision to follow Brian May's on-stage introduction by devoting the lion's share of their mid-afternoon set to a respectful tribute medley of Queen classics rather than merely pushing their double-platinum-selling second album, Pornograffiti, was a masterstroke. The sight of the 72,000 stadium audience clapping in unison during their snippet of Radio Gaga was the stuff of rock and roll dreams. Even this, however, paled alongside the moment they, along with George Michael, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, and more, 
were ushered from the wings to stand behind Liza Minnelli as Freddie's dear friend delivered a spine-tingling performance of We Are the Champions with May, John Deacon, and Roger Taylor. What a day, Sharon Marvels. That was one of our best ever performances, and the fact that it was captured on film for all time is amazing. I play basketball twice a week with guys my own age, and those guys couldn't give a shit about Extreme. To them, I'm not Gary Sharon from Extreme. I'm just some guy shooting hoops, and I love that. But every now and then, a couple of new guys will join, and at some point, maybe they'll discover the Freddie Mercury show on YouTube, and they'll look at me differently for a week or two. (laughs) But we never thought we were the shit. My mother would have smacked me in the head if I'd started acting like Mr. Rockstar. Rise, the ballsy, powerful first single from Six, released at the beginning of March, is described by Sharon as a cautionary tale on the rise and fall of fame. Yeah, so speaking of Rise, the solo on that song, the solo on that song by Nuno, absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Completely knocks you on your ass. The thing I learned about Nuno recently is that he has a very dry tone. And he puts very little effects on his sound. So when you listen to the album and his guitar sound, it's very dry, and that's done on purpose. There's very little reverb, very little delay. Like I said, he doesn't use any effects, and it's just straight up, bam. It's all in his fingers, all in his fingers, as he says. But yeah, go check out the solo specifically from Rise. It's one of those where only Nuno can really deliver it like that. If I were to gripe about one thing from the album is the mix. I just don't get it. It sounds more of a pop kind of mix versus like a straight up in your face rock and roll type of mix that's the one thing for her to pick something bad to say about this album which is really hard to do is the mix i wish it did a better job in putting a rock mix where you really hear the guitars and the drums come through in the music aside from that it's still pretty a damn good listen all right moving on you get seduced into it he said in the press statement accompanying its release Once you're on top, they'll rip you apart and tear you down. That's the nature of the beast. It says something about Sharon's level-headed nature that when he's asked whether the song's lyrics are drawn from bitter experience, given that within five years of Extreme's best-known song, Monster Ballad, More Than Words, topping the Billboard Hot 100 in June 1991, the band had broken up. He initially looks puzzled by the question, then weighs it up in silence for a few moments before answering. It's funny, he says, I wrote the song, you know, looking out. I never applied it to myself. But But yeah, yeah, I guess I could apply parts of it to Extreme. Was becoming a successful band everything we expected? It was everything we expected and more. Our first record, 1989's Extreme, did okay. And for the first nine months touring follow-up Pornograffiti, we were playing in clubs to kind of the same audience as the record didn't catch on. And then More Than Words comes out and explodes on MTV and suddenly we're being carried away by a whirlwind. We were just trying to hang on. All the excesses of rock and roll stardom, the sex, the drugs, the parties, are now open to us. We could see temptations as potential pitfalls, and we just kept our heads down. Do I love women, says Nuno Benincourt, a man who presumably has become inured to forever being the most handsome man in any room. Of course I do. Do I love to have a bit of a buzz? Of course I do. And I'd be lying through my teeth if I said some of that excess didn't happen, but music was always my drug. And I'm grateful for that because our tour, outside our band, I witnessed heavy shit. I mean, there are five or six bands I toured with in the 90s whose singers are now dead. When you're a kid dreaming about being a rock star, visualizing playing your songs at Madison Square Garden, that's the whole dream. So you prepare for that. But then you realize that the other 90% of what you have to deal with, you're just not equipped for. 
So numbing yourself with drugs and alcohol and sex just to cope can be appealing. I wish there was a course we could have taken back then, Rockstar 101, saying, guys, this is what the oven feels like when you touch it, when it's hot. This lifestyle is like being in a pressure cooker. And one day that pressure cooker will fucking explode. I wish I'd known that. Because maybe today we'd be talking about 16 instead of 6. When Extreme broke up in 1996, at the end of their touring commitments for their fourth album, Waiting for the Punchline, it was because Betancourt wanted to strike out on his own. His first solo album, Schizophonic, duly emerged the following year. Between 1997 and Extreme's return in 2007, the guitarist released music with his bands Morning Widows and Population One, later renamed Near Death Experience, then Drama Gods, before partnering with former Jane's Addiction vocalist Perry Farrell in Satellite Party, whose sole studio album, the underrated Ultra Payloaded, was released in May 2007. Wow! So there's a list of albums I'll be checking out. I was a big Jane's Addiction fan and a big Perry Farrell fan, he gushes. He's a fucking incredible performer, an incredible writer, and so just to get into room to do stuff with him was amazing. But on tour, there were some dot 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 personal, cultural kind of things happening that I don't even want to get into, and I left. When conversations about Extreme Return started, I was ready. So too was the singer, the guitarist musical soulmate, with whom he first bonded in 1985 over a mutual love of Queen 2. Sharon's first post-Extreme engagement could hardly have been more high-profile or come with greater pressures. It was Ray Daniels, then managing both Extreme and Van Halen, who suggested Sharon audition to become Van Halen's new frontman following the exit of Sammy Hager in the summer of 1996. Sharon insists that the full extent of his aspirations at the time was to grab an opportunity to sing Jump with three-quarters of the band who recorded it and to hear some cool Van Halen stories he could share with his guys in Boston. But says Benincourt encouraged him to believe that he was a perfect fit for the role. When it's put to him that being Van Halen's frontman took some Sears balls, he laughs gently and says, or maybe naivety. I remember Nuno saying, of course you're going to get this job. Your whole career has been leading to this. And that was very encouraging. And when Eddie Van Halen and I met, it just clicked. He was so human and so inviting and working together was a pure joy. People can think whatever they want about the record we made, Van Halen 3, but I'm proud of it, and so was Eddie. This writer can attest to this. Ahead of the release of that album in the spring of 1998, I interviewed Sharon and Eddie Van Halen at Eddie's 5150 studio, and the guitarist could not have been more effusive in his praise for Sharon, who he hailed as very talented, very gifted, and a down-to-earth human being. I believe that the man or woman upstairs put us both up here to play music, he stated, his hand on Sharon's shoulder. And it feels like I've been waiting for 20 years for this guy to come along. However, the world's music press was less impressed by the first and only Van Halen album Eddie co-wrote while sober. The fundamental problem with this album is the songs. Longtime Van Halen fan Paul Elliott wrote in his 1 out of 5 review in Kerrang! magazine. They're shit. I think there's some great songs on that record, Sharon counters today. It's a different record to what Van Halen did before, but it's a moment in time, and the songs stand up well. Van Halen 3 would become the first Van Halen album not to go platinum in the U.S. Sharon left the group on amical terms in late 1999. If his discography since is modest, a 2002 album with Tribe of Judah, two albums with Hurt Smile, a group he formed with his brother Marcus on guitar, 
His understated pride in those records is tangible and genuine, as is his excitement at the prospect of the world hearing the new extreme record this summer. His enthusiasm is justified. While there are moments on Six that are clearly indebted to longtime band influences, the upbeat Sunshine Streak Beach Bar sing-along in... Turning the page... Beautiful Girls, in parenthesis, all around the world there are so many beautiful girls, could be David Lee Roth era Van Halen at their most horny, the prog metal X out sounds like early queen and indeed fellow queen devotees muse. It's fair to say that no one else is going to release an album that sounds like this in 2023. Bedencourt's Guitar Hero flexes power on the attitude laced rebel and the dirty grind of Banshee. At the other end of the album sonic spectrum, there's the tender, classy hurricane about a navigating through a storm of loss, says Sharon, and the, and the sweet harmony-stacked hug of other side of the rainbow about restoring one's faith and love. Everyone has been hurt. If you're an extreme fan, Six is everything you would hope from the band in 2023. If you're not, you might just be seduced. Betancourt hopes you like the record. But if you don't, that's okay too, because he didn't make the record for you. Let me tell you something, he says, leaning forward. Any fucking artist who says they're doing this for the fans is fucking lying to you. They're full of shit. We do this for ourselves, man. We do this because we need to do it. I want a rock album in 2023. I've got songs, he says. Hundreds of songs. So the reason we haven't put out an album in 15 years has nothing to do with a lack of songs. He could have cashed in and made an album every year. But I would never release an album that I'm not fully emotionally connected to. And six is worth the wait. Trust me. We have one final question for Extreme's guitarist. If the gold and platinum discs on his walls are signifiers of Extreme's past successes, what is success going to look like for six in 2023? That's a great question, he replies. Because you maybe think that it's going to be something different now that I'm older and wiser. But it means the same as it always did. Success to me is making an album that I'm excited about and watching proudly as this child makes his way out into the world. Those discs on the wall, he continues pointing behind him. When I moved to this house eight years ago, they were in fucking storage collecting dust. They didn't mean anything to me. And then I realized that I needed to see them for myself, to say, hey, you fucking did it, dude. I don't see a platinum disc as proof of one million album sales. In my head, it's like, Yo, you sat in a fucking bedroom as a Portuguese immigrant and fucking put a band together and you fucking did it. They're a reminder of sleeping in a rehearsal space, of turmoil with the band, of all the hardships, dot, 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 and the fact that it was all worth it. What happens with Six now, we can't control, but this is real and we're proud to share it with you. There you go. It says here, Six is out June 9th via ear music, whatever that is. Okay, like I said, if you haven't listened to the album yet, it's called Six. Go check out the first single, Rise, and Nuno Solo specifically. It's this virtuoso, amazing solo. I definitely think that's what's missing and what's needed in rock and roll today. Some sort of virtuoso, kick-ass solo. So glad it's out there. Thank you, Extreme, for putting out a solid album. The best I've heard so far, 2023. I know Matt. Thank you so much for making it to the end. I really appreciate your loyalty. Connect with me on Facebook. We have an It's One Louder podcast page there. And hopefully we can exchange messages there. Rock on, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you.